the Sideways, Book One, Awake, written and narrated by Andy Havens. If you're enjoying the podcast or you've enjoyed the written book, we'd always appreciate a share on your favorite social network. That's www.the-side-ways.com. Thanks for listening. Chapter 9. Conclusion. I, 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 I didn't mean for that to happen, Kendra stuttered, backing away from the pile of dissipating rot that had been the Greenman. Rain Vernon stared as if seeing her for the first time. That should not have been possible, he said simply. It's not. I didn't. She was still unable to fathom what had happened. The ring had released the way, not her. She hadn't had anything to do with it. You were not of flux. The way should have spilled or even turned back on you. What did you do? I have no idea. Wallace was standing in the street looking shocked. Merker was nosing in the remains of what had been his master and friend, trying to understand by smell what none of them could understand by sight. The gargoyle turned on her and growled, "'Not good,' it said in its low, gravelly voice. Then louder, "'Not good, not good!' As the gargoyle lunged at Kendra, Vernon heard the crow's voice again. "'Blame her for the undeclared killing of your green men.' "'How did it know?' But just as Mercury's sharp stone teeth were about to clamp down on Kendra's leg, a brown flash shot between them and brought the creature up short. It was a squirrel, racing in to pick up a random chunk of the biscotti that Mercury had somehow missed. But Kendra knew better. She could see clearly now. Wallace had tossed the piece of pastry on the ground. Then he'd cast a way of sight to enhance a nearby squirrel's perception, drawing it to the food and another, an unseeing, to keep it from noticing Merkir, until it was too late, until— Mine! shouted the stone dog, leaping after the now surprised and terrified rodent. The squirrel took off at top speed. Barking and wheezing, Merkir shot down the block, across the street, and was gone from sight. Kendra almost laughed, and looked at Wallace, who, too, seemed on the verge of laughter, or at least— hysteria. Then she looked back at Vernon, and everything like laughter died inside her. He looked like an earthquake, like a tornado, like a tidal wave. She could see the power in him. Hundreds, maybe thousands of years of studying the ways of earth, of coming to know the wind and rain on the surface, the rock beneath, the fire below. I am sorry, he said softly. You would have made a fine gardener. He didn't even gesture theatrically. No raised hands, no cry of power, no mystical rune. He just looked into her and she felt time. That most basic of nature's powers the turn of the world, the circle of life and death, the seasons, water in the clouds, falls to rivers, flows to the sea, 
and rises back to the clouds, trees to ash and loam and back into the dirt where new trees grow, she could feel herself aging, which she supposed had always been the case, but now it was obvious and terrifying. Every moment, every cell in her body ticked off a little mark on a ledger, and she was one tick closer to her final breath. Her blood ran just that much thinner, her bones just that much more brittle, her muscles growing a little less flexible. And it was speeding up, or rather, everything around her was going much, much more slowly. Wallace was caught mid-step, one foot raised above the other as he climbed the curb. A scrap of waste paper was caught in a tiny whirlwind, and she barely saw it move. Even the light, she realized, was slower. And that's not possible, I don't think. Her thoughts weren't slower. She saw all these things around her and could have reached out and plucked the paper from the air. She could have slipped it under Wallace's foot before it came down. She was breathing and blinking and thinking so much faster than they were, like they were sloths, and she was a gnat, she realized, or a hummingbird, or a bee. She remembered reading that the lifespan of some bugs was measured in weeks, and she'd wondered at the time if that felt like a long, full life to them. I wonder how long Kaolin would have lived, she thought, and Merc here, maybe he'll be around for hundreds of years. She realized she was daydreaming, distracted. She should move, go somewhere, do something, but while her mind was able to maintain its internal speed, her body was still stuck in normal time, and she couldn't move it at all. She tried everything, her feet were stuck to the ground, her hands, still soiled with the gunk of the Greenman's death, were frozen mid-air. The only thing that seemed unstuck was my eyes. I can still move them. She looked up and saw Vernon staring at her, sad and powerful, his way wrapping her in loops of time that did these things to different parts of her, speeding up her perception of time, keeping her will and ability to move at bay, she managed to look a question at him. How long? He seemed to understand and said, amidst the silence of the world, Does it matter? Which made her frightened. I could be stuck like this, aging and frozen, for sixty years. She could feel herself feeling it, the terror of living with the body of a tree and the mind of a girl, a sharp mind, an active mind, but all the while decaying, unmoving, doing nothing, 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 just, just dying. And that, all of a sudden, made her not just scared, but angry. None of this was her fault. But like Monday, Rain was being an ass about it. Sure, people died all the time. Innocent people, they got caught in the crossfire. 
where they have accidents or in the wrong place at the wrong time. But she didn't know anything. And now here he was, about to age her to death because she wouldn't join his domain. That's just mean. He seemed ready to wait for a long, long time, and Kendra knew that it didn't matter whether it seemed like a thousand years to her, she was going to age and wither and die before Wallace's foot came down on the curb. She could feel Vernon's way in detail, all the subtle patterns and shifts, the blending of several flavors of time, the life of rocks that didn't move on their own but were cracked by water and ice, the roots of trees that moved down so slowly ever so slowly to eat and drink, the leaves that came and went much more quickly, at least compared to roots and rocks, and waves that came and went with a fast, short rhythm against the shore, all natural, all these patterns of time, all of them at war in her body, now tearing her mind from her body and her life from her will. But whatever time I have, I might as well spend seeing the world with my new eyes. She turned then, as much as she could, from looking at Vernon, and looked at the ways around her, the many little scraps of power that Reckoners had left behind, tiny trails of seeing, little loops of chaos, and the larger yet more subtle flows of power, like the narrow road that ran down the middle of this street in her hometown. I have often walked down the street before, she sang in her head, but the pavement always stayed beneath my feet before. She was losing it. Something about the time flows was making it hard to think, was blurring the lines between her conscious thoughts and her memories. The narrow road, she thought, right there all along, and I never saw it. Powered by mundane travel, directed by increase, used by any reckoner. Any reckoner and she saw them, like the negative space on the inkblot cards that made the frightening pictures, like the spaces that Dai Li, other fingers, Sensu of Flux, manipulated in his opponent's way of binding, like the blue hole out of which had stepped the Sky Woman at the beginning of this whole mess. She saw the places between the ways, she saw where they almost touched, which, because they were created by reckoners from different houses, they never really did, except when they were in conflict, like the grudge match at Bardone's. And even then, it wasn't really about the space between the ways, nor the overlap. What she saw was different. She didn't have a way of her own to cast. Even the red ring was gone. But she had her eyes, and she had her mind. And for a long, long, seemingly long time she thought and thought and knew that, yes, soon it would be over because the loops and whirls of time would tear her apart, but there was still time left for... One question, please? She looked straight into Rain Vernon's eyes and willed him to understand what she was saying to him what she was thinking, what she wanted to ask. He was mountains, 
and their valleys. He was the river and the delta. He was earth, and earth was forever changing but eternal. And you have no fear of one tiny, young, homeless girl, she thought with all her might. One question, he allowed, and freed her lips. Knowing that as soon as she spoke, time would catch her up again in its relentless grip and age her flesh instantly to bones and bones to dry dust in the moment before the scrap of paper landed and Wallace's foot came down. Into the throbbing of the surf and the turning of the world, holding back the last tick of her soul's clock, Kendra whispered, When is seven less than none? What road is only ever won? Nonsense, Vernon thought. Dog roll. But it recalled the song of the houses, which every reckoner knew. But the rhyme is wrong. It shouldn't be none and one. It should be one and done. A silly riddle about a road, but why should that be her very last question? Why not why? Or something about her fate? Or a request to, yes, please, let me join Earth and not die today? He looked at her, and she was smiling, perhaps a bit mad. But that's to be expected, as conflicting ways of time pull your mind from your body and soul. Even frozen in his own pattern, Wallace saw it before Vernon did. Seeing things was his specialty, of course. The riddle, the rhyme, was a distraction. A tiny drop of chaos on her tongue, a way to make someone search for a pattern where there was none, to make a connection between... Something moved, Rain thought. No, wait, I moved. But he hadn't intended to. What's happening, he thought. And then, in a flash of insight, he too saw what Wallace had perceived. To him, so familiar with the shapes in the topiary, it was like a transition mold, a negative way triggered by the space around it, but he was only familiar with molds crafted of sky and branch and water, not the ways themselves. This cannot be, Vernon thought as his ancient powerful mind began to fall apart. In that last second of his life he saw what she had done and was terrified of the simplicity of the idea, of the complete confusion it would create in the houses, across all the domains, of this new power he had somehow helped bring forth, even accidentally. The channeled might of the narrow road churned along despite Vernon's murderous way of time. Of course it did, because it was crafted by another domain, and now because of the distracting rhyme, because of the drop of chaos she had thrown into his mind, the speed and power of the road twisted in and around and through his own way, the narrow road took him by the mind where the silly rhyme still rung in his ears. He felt it grip his skull the way he'd felt it pull at his feet a thousand times, at a speed magnified by the intentional speeding up caused by his own way. With a thought, Kendra allowed the narrow road to sling a thousand miles of travel at him and through him all at once. 
Rain's last thought was a question of his own. Raven, did you know? And time returned to normal, and the scrap of paper fell on the little metal table, and Wallace's foot came down on the curb, and Kendra sat down hard on the sidewalk, and Rain Vernon's headless corpse flopped down on the street, emptying its blood into the gutter. And the police would never find his head, because it was simply gone, smeared across a thousand miles of road. Chapter X Conclusions Mr. Monday sat back in his office chair and stared at Wallace Bradstreet, stared at him hard, but Wallace didn't flinch or shrink in on himself. The boy found some spine out there, Monday thought. That's something anyways. So you let her go. Wallace actually smiled a little, then clamped it down. Sir, she had just done something I'd never even imagined, much less heard of or seen. She created what to me seemed like a way built from three ways, all of different domains. It was as if the difference between them was what created the force. It was uh, somewhat distracting. You're a librarian, Monday reminded him. You should be able to observe, record, catalog, and preserve almost any information without emotion. She exploded his head into a cloud of red vapor and blew it instantly over the length of a narrow road, sir. Yes. Well, I did say almost, didn't I? Wallace stood quietly, waiting for, well, whatever came next. Finally, Monday motioned him to take a seat on the couch. He'd never been asked to sit in the librarian's office before. He stood stock still for one second more, until Monday, with an exasperated sigh, motioned again. Thank you, sir. The older man pressed a button on his desk and asked into the intercom, Mrs. McKee, could you bring us both some coffee, please? Of course. Monday sat back, waiting until his chief assistant returned with a tray, a carafe, and two cups, black the way he liked it. He didn't inquire if Wallace wanted milk or sugar. One step of familiarity at a time, he thought. As Wallace took a sip, wincing a bit at the bitterness, he did in fact prefer it with sugar and cream, Monday asked him, Where do you think she went? Wallace shrugged, looking at the iron hook where the crow had once perched. Why would he keep that? the young reckoner wondered. Make a guess, Monday said. If I had to guess, I'd say she probably went to find her friend from chaos. I mean, other than us, Vanya is the only reckoner Kendra really knows. Possibly to Bardone's, then, where they were last together. At least long enough to make contact, yes. Monday nodded. And the book she gave you, what was her request again? Wallace knew that Monday had clearly heard his initial report, and could certainly repeat it back to him word for word. He also knew that the librarian often liked to ask the same question more than once to see if new or differently worded answers would provide more context. She said, I'd consider it a favor if you'd find the message that used to be written on the title page. And that was all. Yes, nothing else. She kissed me on the cheek, Wallace thought. That's not really important, so I don't need to tell him about that, I don't think. 
No, sir, nothing else. Just that she was going walkabout, she called it. And would I find the message? Monday looked up at the ceiling, a message that used to be written on the title page. Yes. I think that's an excellent project for you, or one part of a larger project, actually. Monday stood up and held out his hand, confused, Wallace stood up and shook it. Congratulations, boy. I'm promoting you to section head, and you'll be in charge of the Kendra project. You'll have a coven of seven and a budget. Talk to McKee about the administrative details. She knows those things. I don't care. I expect a weekly update on progress and immediate notification if anything interesting happens. Understood? Uh, yes, understood. Thank you. Thank you, sir. I'll, uh, I, uh, I won't let you down. I know you won't. Monday patted the boy on the shoulder. They seemed to appreciate a patting at times like these, he thought, and ushered the boy out. No calls, please, Mrs. McKee, he said. I'll be studying. I'll see you tomorrow. Of course, sir. Have a lovely evening. You too, Mrs. McKee. He closed the door to his study and felt his own ways radiating out around him, all the stored power and closely held secrets, the subtle spiderweb strings that led to all kinds of watch stations, the more obvious lenses that focused attention on major players and events, all of them now vulnerable, he said aloud. He sat down again and ripped off a few pages of his Dilbert calendar, bringing it up to date. Then he poured another cup of coffee, leaned back in his chair, and removed the small notebook from his coat pocket. Much less editing to do on this story than I had originally thought. No cutting at all, actually. Not for me. Not for now. Maybe not ever. Solomon Monday, librarian, master of sight, looked at the iron perch where once his crow had sat. I wonder where she's gone to as well, he thought. Too many questions not enough information. But secretly, he was a little pleased to have a mystery or two to unravel. It had been a long time since anything really interesting had happened around the library. He closed his eyes, and as he sipped his coffee, the sight and aroma of apple blossoms and the sound of an alarm clock made their way out of his notebook and down away to the archives where Wallace and his staff would pore over them in shocking detail. I hope you've enjoyed this audiobook reading of the Sideways Book One, Awake. Kendra's story continues in Book Two, Aware, and concludes in Book Three, Again. Thanks for listening.